Support for this podcast comes from Blackline and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Joe Consul, Chief Financial Officer of Exactly Corporation, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode number 236. How is a finance leader? Are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Gene Prather, CFO of eBuilder. The first thing I do is I, I establish trust, and it's not just with the people that report to me. I had to establish trust with salespeople. I had to develop a relationship with them. And so it's not an automatic thing. You just don't walk into a building and just think, okay, this is just going to happen. You have to establish the respect and the trust. And then so they understand what I need. I understand what they need. And same with professional services. You know, we have a whole implementation team that perform services, and I establish relationships with all the implementation people so they can trust me if they have a question on revenue, or if I have a question, there's an easy communication. Listen to our complete interview with Gene after these words from our sponsor. Many accounting and finance professionals are facing a sizable obstacle these days. In this age of data enlightenment, their financial close processes leave no time for data analysis, the very activity that opens the door to new opportunities and career advancement. Blackline has the answer. By automating, centralizing, and streamlining financial close operations, Blackline customer organizations are now ready for the data-centric world, allowing their finance and accounting professionals to open the door to new opportunities. To learn more, visit blackline.com forward slash CFO. Hi, Jack. It's Jean Prater from eBuilder. Yeah, hey, Jean. Thanks for the time. Yeah, thank you. Hello, we're speaking with Gene Prather, CFO of eBuilder, software firm specializing in construction management software. That's software that helps commercial and government customers manage large capital projects. Gene, welcome. Thanks for having me today, Jack. Not at all. So over the last uh, 15 years, you've served as a finance leader for a string of companies. We'll be interested in learning about some of those experiences along the way. But first, let's learn about how you first entered the CFO office and what the, uh, the experiences were that you feel prepared you. Yeah, so um, I graduated from a business school in Boston, outside of Boston, Bentley University. And that's where I got my accounting degree from and went to um, KPMG in Boston for eight years. And then they um, transferred me to the Miami office where um, I was in their technology group. And that basically, in total, I was there for 12 years at KPMG, and it gave me the background that I needed to, you know, move on. And it, it was a pivotal point in my career where it, do I decide to stay in public accounting or do I go down the private route? Well, back then, clients could hire you. And one of my clients hired me as their VP of finance. And so from there, um, I, I took that company public 
and then I moved on to, you know, I was there five years and then moved on to other technology companies. So I've been in the technology sector ever since. And that's just such a, a sort of a neat transition for, for any uh, anyone in public accounting, I would imagine. Now, uh, was the CFO a mentor or not necessarily for you as you came into that firm? Absolutely. He was a C- he was a CFO. He was a great mentor. Um, I was because I was their auditor. I knew him very well, and when I came there, he he was able to really transition me because it's very different. And he was able to transition me from being in the public accounting world to being in the private world. And then he left six months later or eight months later. And um, the CEO asked me to become their CFO. So um, I was able to help, you know, I was able to go into the CFO role there um, pretty quickly. So tell us something about leadership here, because that seems, you know, what prepared you to have that type of uh, senior management role uh, in the public accounting world, you get to look inside all these different organizations and, and realize, uh, you know, every company is a little different. Um, right. But here you are, you come in at, at a senior level, but uh, the workforce has to look up to you as a leader. How did you, uh, is there anything you acquired along the way that you learned that prepared you for that? Yeah, it's probably my biggest strength is my people. Um, they trust me, and I think trust is the biggest thing, trust and respect. And if people trust you, they're going to work hard for you. They're going to deliver for you. They want to make you proud. And the big thing in all my companies, the first thing I do is establish trust. And I think along the way in my whole career, um, people follow me. People want to work for me. People want to, you know, I'm hard on them. I have very high expectations of people. There are some people out there that can't work for me because they don't like to work hard. But the people who want to work hard and do a great job know that I'm going to reward them and know that I'm going to be, I'm going to have their back. And trust is the biggest thing throughout. And I learned that in public accounting. And what you, what my base in public accounting was I had worked for 10 partners maybe, and you have 10 different personalities. You learn how to work with different people. You have, you know, if you're a senior manager, you might have six jobs going on at the same time, and those six jobs have five different groups involved. So you have to learn to manage people a different way and what makes them tick. Everyone gets, you know, managed differently based on what, how they are. So I learned that base in public accounting. And then when I got to Deline, which was the company that hired me, um, they basically, you know, I had 20 people staring at me when I walked in and they just wanted a leader. They wanted, they were hungry. And you have all these people that just want to do a good job and they want someone that cares about them. And and so what my approach to any time I go to a new company, my approach is the first two weeks, I have one-on-one lunches with everyone that's in my department. I have group meetings, and I just start establishing that trust, and it's worked very well. You went on to serve as a CFO in four other companies, including today, eBuilder, according to uh, 
according to your resume here on LinkedIn. But you also served as a, as a VP and controller. You were a chief accounting officer. So along the way, you didn't always look for the top spot necessarily was the opportunity, I would imagine. Can you share with us your, your philosophy as you, uh, you know, grew in your career? Yes, it's it's about the size of the company. So Mastech was a billion-dollar company. So um, they needed at the time, and, you know, they needed somebody in there to help them with their financials. They were going under. They were having a hard time when I got there. They were late with some of their SEC filings. They were under SEC investigation, and they really needed help. They had a CFO. They had somebody that was in front of investors. It was a public company, um, but they needed someone behind the scenes to do the work and execute the work and not be that figurehead CFO that sometimes public companies have. So I basically went in there as the VP controller, and I would say MassTech is probably my biggest accomplishment of my career, no matter. I mean, I've done a lot of great things with Prolexic and eBuilder, but MassTech I look back on and say, you know what, that was one of the worst jobs I had, but it was also the best as far as satisfactory. By the time I left, um, and I left there just only because it was an hour and a half commute each way. It was, you know, after two years, it was just a really, it was really, you know, draining. And so I did what I needed to do there. I went in there. I got them up to date on all their SEC filings. I got new auditors for them. I, I got them clicking. The stock went up, you know, and now, you know, they're still doing very well. And I look back on that and say, you know, yeah, I wasn't the top person, but I really, you know, I probably wouldn't have been successful as the top person. I'm a doer. I'm an executor. I'm very hands-on with a lot of things. Still am. And people know I'm there in the trenches with them, no matter what title I have. So that's kind of, um, but that mass tech was definitely one of my, you know, top successes. When I left there, the send-off I got was just, it was amazing. And the letters I got from the board of directors that I still have um, were, you know, just stellar reviews. So it, it made me feel very good that I accomplished something there. Now, what did these companies have in common? They seem very different, some of them. They are in the technology realm, I think, most of them. Um, but what, what did they have in common? And, and again, um, as you become more of a seasoned CFO, it looks like, are these similarly sized companies uh, um, that no, you know? What all the companies that I've ever worked for have, the one thing they have in common is they needed help building processes and they needed help going to the next level. So like something like MassTech, who is a billion-dollar company, they didn't have the infrastructure and the process, and I had to implement Sarbanes-Oxley there. So I learned a lot at MassTech about Sarbanes-Oxley and the whole process and internal controls. So I had that base at KPMG, but I just built upon it at MassTech. And then, you know, you go to someone like Prolexit, never had a CFO, much smaller company, but you're able to accomplish, you know, you, in a smaller company, you touch everything. And, um, you know, they, so they needed process. They had never had a CFO. They, they needed someone to build them to the next level. 
and same with eBuilder. eBuilder found what I did at Prolexic. They needed to mirror that, and basically I came in and I've been, you know, trying to look at internally all the processes, and I'm much more operational CFO focused than, you know, just a behind-the-scenes spreadsheet financial person. So all of the companies that I've worked for in my career are all related to just process improvement, getting the company to the next level. And with MassTech, even though they were a billion-dollar company, they needed a lot of change because of all the issues they had with the SEC. Yeah, so you, you've explained to us sort of the satisfaction you've gotten along the way, uh, but you land at eBuilder in, uh, towards the end of 2014, and what is it that you want, you know, what's the next act? What can you do? What was the job you wanted to create? Um, I want to create, I just wanted to build value for eBuilder. There was so much opportunity here because they didn't have a CFO in the previous either, so I was their first CFO. So I'm just able to help, like having talked to the VP of customer implementation and asking them how they do revenue and how they recognize revenue and not, you know, automating that and making it more efficient and, and having more improvements with revenue recognition. I've implemented systems in in each of my jobs. I implemented Oracle at MassTech. I implemented um, Great Plains at Prolexic, and I'm imp- I implemented NetSuite at eBuilder. So automating processes, making things more efficient, making sales and accounting talk to each other in a much better, making communication throughout the company so much better, um, and touching everybody in the company and not just, you know, staying in your finance world. Is there something you think you've missed out on by not being in a in a large enterprise or built your career in large enterprises? Clearly you could have. Um so what what No what are you, I I'm attracted to smaller companies because as I said earlier it, I touch everything. With with bigger companies, you tend to be put into a you know a box, and I can't I can't touch. Like I talk to every employee at this company. I feel like it's a family. The culture is so is so good, and it was like that at all the small companies I worked. So I, I like the small company mentality. You're able to touch more. You're able to make more of a difference. And I feel I have a lot of value and satisfaction every day. And one of my biggest strengths is my is managing people. And I feel like on the bigger companies, it's all like so metric driven and, you know, the organizational chart. I wouldn't have a lot of people under me directly. And with smaller companies, you tend to have a, you know, a lot of people reporting to you and you can make a difference in their lives and in their careers. And people look up to me and they trust me and they reach out to me. And I get a lot of um, satisfaction with that that I don't think I would get at a bigger company. Now, as you described, these companies are somewhat formative uh, still as you arrive. And do you think, and you mentioned the word culture, do you see yourself as someone who plays a, a big, a, an important role in establishing culture for these companies? Yes, 
Yes, um, yes, um, the first thing I do is I, I establish trust, and it's not just with the people that report to me, it's with everyone. So, like, um, for example, at eBuilder, when I came on, the CEO was signing all the contracts and sales and doing all the sales stuff, and that got shifted to me, and so I had to establish trust with salespeople. I had to develop a relationship with them, and so it's not an automatic thing. You just don't walk into a building and just think, okay, this is just going to happen. You have to establish the respect and the trust. And then so with sales, like we sales and accounting, we click, we get along, they understand what I need, I understand what they need. And same with professional services. You know, we have a whole implementation team that perform services, and I establish relationships with all the implementation people so they can trust me if they have a question on revenue, or if I have a question, there's an easy communication. So, and the executive team, you know, just not assuming that, you know, we all should just get along. It's work. It's, you know, you have to establish relationships with everyone and make sure that, you know, the respect's there and they understand your motivation versus what they need to get done. And so we all click on all cylinders. And it's very important that the executive team is on the same page because that does, you know, affect culture. If all of us are feeling differently and not on the same page, then, you know, it, it goes down to the organization. So I feel like I'm an integral part of the culture. People look up to me. They look to me to see how I am, what's happening, and, you know, it, that's what people look for. They look at the executives. I like the way you illustrated how the CEO um, took some of the tasks that he or she was responsible for and and, and, and brought them into your realm. Um, what I'm wondering about is I imagine along the way you, you've often had uh, – been engaged by the CEO who is looking to take uh, their organization to the next level, and they're looking for a seasoned executive with a track record like yourself. At the same time, you have to make an assessment uh, whether this CEO is uh, well-suited for what you bring. And uh, I'm wondering in the past, and without uh, getting specific here, have there been times when you said, no, this is not a good good match for me? I'm sure there yeah, is, I, but I'm wondering I've what actually, criteria. Yeah, I've actually been very, very, very lucky um, I, I, in my career. I have never really had um, a, a boss that I didn't respect or that I was not being mentored by or that I wasn't learning from. There was one situation in my career that I left the company because um, there was a change in management and the CEO came, a new CEO came in and didn't really give me a chance and that really, you know, I learned a lot from that because I, I learned what not to do as a manager and what people look for as a manager and it was a, a low point in my career but I learned so much from it. And I'm a better person because of it. But yeah, there was there was one there was one job where I just didn't agree with the way that he went about things, and you know I ended up leaving. The, another interesting thing: Are you 
have the have the balance of your career been based in Florida? Have you moved around a good deal? I don't think so. Is that right? No, I was in Boston for eight years at KPMG. Then I transferred down to Florida um, to KPMG for four years, and then I stayed in Florida the whole time. So um, there was one job that required a lot of travel because we had a lot of um, we had a lot of offices and a lot of um, people around the world. So I went, you know, did a lot of traveling, which, you know, to me, I, I can't really travel that much just because I have kids. But um, that one job was um, was based in Florida, but I did a lot of traveling. But no, I haven't moved around. I I looked at, you know, in my career when I was looking for new jobs, I would look at other places. I never limited myself to Florida. I was just very fortunate that the opportunities that I came across were in Florida. Okay. Okay, I didn't ask, um, and, and you might have touched upon this. I want to talk a little bit about eBuilder now. And what perhaps steps you've taken um, to begin uh, moving the organization in the direction you want? Um, what 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 initial steps have you taken here since I guess it's two years now? Yeah, I mean I've worked very closely with the CEO, and he you know what's really good is the CEO is very um, he listens a lot, and he doesn't you know just say my way or the highway like he really really listens for input from his executives and he trusts us again it goes back to the trust thing um, but when I came in I basically um, I started on processes right away so I've mentioned sales and the implementation teams where I've just tried to you know look at revenue so revenue recognition and making sure revenue was proper um, putting all our corporate records together making sure the corporate you know books were okay um, the revenue revenue was probably the biggest thing that we've done and looking at the MRC, which is our monthly recurring revenue, and developing the first thing I did, like I walked in and I said, okay, can I have a revenue by customer? And that had to be created. So I had somebody on my team start creating that, and now it's like, you know, it, it just happens every day. It happens every month. So things, you know, just putting tools in place to ensure that we can move forward and not have a lot of manual procedures. I also implemented NetSuite. So when I got here, Peachtree was our accounting system. And so we went out for bid, and I got three, you know, companies that I looked at, and we chose NetSuite for our accounting system. So for the past year, we've been implementing the accounting system, and that turned into an ERP system because we are now having all our projects in our implementation team uses OpenAir, which is a division of NetSuite. So um, that's been a lot of work. We've looked at taxes, making sure we're in compliance with taxes, making sure we're in compliance with business licenses, and just all the little things that, you know, you don't think about that when you come in, you just, you know, you try to tackle one at a time. You know, looking at benefits, you know, HR is under me now. So, you know, just looking at employee engagement and processes around HR as well. Now, do you have all the uh, sort of key positions uh, filled? Do you have a controller today, or is that a role you might? Uh, no, I have a controller. So um, when I came in, um, 
I I needed a controller, so I hired a, um, and she's great. She's doing really well. She's been here for about a year, and um, she's integral to me because, you know, I do need to get out of the weeds, and, you know, in order to get out of the weeds, I need somebody to do, like, the day-to-day accounting, and that's what the controller does. And then I have an accounting manager, and the accounting manager does, like, the reporting and the revenue, and and then I have an AP and an AR person. And, of course, you mentioned HR. Was there a, a, a management HR person that's part of the company that, that reports to you? Yeah, so I hired recently, I just hired a director of HR. So the director of HR is part of the leadership team, and she reports to me. And she does everything, you know, the day-to-day HR. But, you know, I I help her with, you know, certain things if she needs it or, like, we just renewed our benefits, so I had to approve all that. Um, and we kind of tag team. There are some things that I'm going to handle and then other things that I just let her handle. But she handles HR basically, you know, full time, and I I handle the high-level things that need to be addressed. Okay, so let's find out a little bit about uh, eBuilder's offerings. Now, this is construction management software. It is a cloud offering. Is that is that correct? Yep, it's a SaaS cloud offering. Had you worked in a, uh, a SaaS uh, offering in the past, and how does that impact your business model, right? Is subscription? Is it a little different from what you've done? No. Um, well, that was one of the things that um, attracted me to eBuilder because when I was at Prolexic, it was a um, monthly recurring subscription model as well. And it actually, what I learned at Prolexic was it really helps the value of a company because if you have monthly recurring revenue, that's not going to go away. Um, you know, people like that. And our churn here is very low. And so that's one of our metrics is we look at our monthly recurring revenue, and then we, um, you know, look at it by customer, and then we, you know, see what our churn rate is, and that's how we can kind of see what the future holds. Yeah, I'd love to... Uh Explore that a little more with you, just because you have a perspective of being in non-SaaS companies and today's SaaS companies. In terms of your lines of sight into the customer, which is something finance hasn't always enjoyed, can, can you share with us, do you feel as though you have a better understanding of the customer than in, in the past as far as a finance leader? Yes, well, you know, because it's a construction software and I used to work at Mastec, which was a construction company, I came in knowing all the lingo. I came in really understanding the construction industry and understanding why we're offering the product that we're offering. And basically, you know, our motto is that we want to lower the cost of construction so we can take that money that is like not that is not spent appropriately during construction and that is wasted and we want to be able to take that money and give it back to society to use it for better purpose so that's really our motto and our vision and our mission so it's it's very important that you you know so we get the customer they you know, so much money is wasted on construction, and the customers just want to save money. And the ROI, it's very easy to talk to them about the ROI by purchasing eBuilder because 
they're able to save money if they use a system that's automated instead of a system that is on Excel spreadsheets. So as a, as a SaaS, we always ask, you know, what are the key metrics that are important to you? As a SaaS software yep. uh, company, we would imagine that you already hit upon some of them, the customer retention and, and what have you. But what, what else might there be? What are those metrics? That yeah, I mean, we look at our monthly recurring revenue. When we're doing deals, we look at our monthly recurring versus our non-recurring um, to ensure that, you know, the one-time fees, the implementation is very important to the customer. It's very important to us. Um, we just, the monthly recurring revenue for a customer, we want to retain that customer. We want to make sure they're here for 10 years and that they don't leave after a year. So um, we look at the monthly recurring. We look at um, pipeline to ensure, you know, our pipeline is very robust. And then we also, um, from a customer standpoint, we look at net promoter score. We We, every time somebody one of our customers calls into our support group, they do a survey. Were you happy or not happy with the results of support? And our our results are overwhelming. So, you know, customer support is very important to us and the, the net promoter score from customers we measure. And we just, we try and that, because that results in better renewals and a higher renewal rate. So, and, and we also look to see, okay, how many customers are calling the executive team because they're unhappy. Um, so all of that kind of, you know, our customer is the most important and our keeping that customer is the most important. So all of our, from implementation or even the start from sales to implementation to account management to customers, support to customer collections of invoices, they all touch the customers. So we all know that it's that's the most important thing. You mentioned uh, Net Promoter Score several times. Um, this, as we know, is a metric that's only about 15 years older since it originated at Bain, I guess. And, and uh, But in that uh, course of your finance career, uh, as a finance uh, person, do you find that the net promoter score is is something you pay more closely attention to uh today than you did uh so many years ago? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um it really wasn't talked about years ago. You know, now it's it's there. It's something people measure against. They look at trends. It's definitely much more prevalent now than it was 20 years ago. Well, you've already shared a few uh, what we call aha moments with us, but we always like to ask for one where uh, during the course of your career you might have had a moment uh, of strategic insight that uh, being a finance executive you had uh, you know you had the vision and you could see the numbers that revealed something something bigger that might have led you to uh, point the organization in a different direction or uh, identify an opportunity that others might not have seen. What would that have been? Um, like I said, I have a lot, but um, I would say one of my most aha moments was when I did when I went from public accounting to private, and I worked at Galene. And you know, here I was an auditor for twelve years, and you know, all of a sudden now you're the VP of finance at a you know at a technology company, 
And, you know, I'll never forget my first week there because here I know the company very well because I audited them. Um, and I come into the company and they say, okay, Jean, you're going to sign all the checks this week. I'm like, okay, just let me know when the check run is done and, you know, I'll, I'll sign the checks. And that week, four crates of checks came into my office. And I just went, what? Like, this is your weekly check run? So I just basically looked at every single check and deleted expenses that didn't need to be there and met with the CFO and the CEO and talked about the whole check process and the whole invoice process. And I I can tell you we saved hundreds of thousands of dollars in the year just by that little, you know, moment of, okay, something's wrong here. We're, we're spending too much or we don't have approvals or, and it all came down to process and it all came down to, do we have the right purchase approvals in place? Do we have the right disbursement approvals in place? Do we have the right, you know, process in place to ensure that the CEO does know that we're spending this kind of money? So, and it was great. It was, and, and I learned so much being in that moment because it just and then that trickles other things. Okay, well if these if these processes weren't right, then then I start looking at revenue and then I start looking at benefits and then I start looking at HR and then I start looking at um the customer implementation process and how is revenue being recognized and so it just triggered a lot and that's how I started, you know, really becoming an expert on process improvement. Okay. Um, wonderful insight. We we uh, had already touched on HR and uh, how you made this important hire again, sort of building, putting in place the management team. Um, but as a finance leader, we want to explore uh, more frequently now with our guests, um, what are their priorities when it comes to the workforce exactly? And um, what, what – uh, you know, metrics are you paying attention to uh, related for to for finance people or everyone? As a as a finance leader, we we understand more finance leaders are uh, paying closer attention to uh, uh, the workforce and culture. And of course, you've always played this role. It seems right. you've been really important in establishing not just the processes, but we touched upon culture already. Um, but when when it comes to the workforce and your discussions with the HR team, um, what are the priorities that you're you're trying to put forth uh, yeah. as a finance leader? Yeah. So the biggest priority for me from an employee is employee engagement, because if you have an engaged workforce, you have happy clients, and you have happy people. And then that speaks to results. If you have happy clients and you have happy people, then you're going to have good financial results because you're going to have more revenue. You're going to have better churn with your um, lower churn with your customers and your satisfaction across the board is going to increase. So it all comes down to employee engagement. And if employees are engaged, if they feel like they're a part of something, and again, I go back to trust. So employees are engaged if they know that they trust the executives and they trust what they see and what is their, what they're being told. So 
we have very we're very transparent. Um, we are a private company, so we, you know, tend to not, you know, disclose too much. But we have an all-hands meeting every month with the team, and everyone is there at the company. We have a annual kickoff meeting where each executive of the company goes in front of the whole entire company and talks about the goals of that department for the year. And it's all transparent. It's all, okay, this is what professional services needs to accomplish this year. This is what finance needs to accomplish this year. This is what sales is doing. And it tells the company in every level, in every position, how they contribute to that. So they feel a part of it. And and then we also do a lot of employee kind of buy-in meetings. So, for instance, we were renewing our benefits and we wanted to get feedback from the employees. We didn't want to just renew our benefits, and we could have taken the lower-cost option and not think about anybody else and just take the lower-cost option. But that's not going to, you know, do anything for us from an employee engagement standpoint. So we had a benefits committee established, and that benefits committee's job was, in our job, was to get buy-in from a subset of the employee base to say, what don't you like about our benefits? What do you like about it? What would you like to have? What would you, what would you be able to get, you know, not live with? And we get their input and then we renewed our benefits based on that input. So, you know, same with like we try to do quarterly events. Um, to have fun, like we'll go bowling or we'll do contests or we'll have a cookout, um, we'll have a picnic, we have a holiday party. But instead of just doing those events, we have an events committee and we have employees engaged in those committees. So it's all about buy-in and trying to get them, you know, feeling a part of things instead of just being told things. Is there a, is there a technology component to uh, success here, uh, HR success and workforce success. Do you, uh, and you, you mentioned ERP and, and the important role that you've played in other companies, but when it comes to this area, workforce, perf- driving performance, do you think technology is going to play a larger role here and do you uh, prioritize yet uh, in a sense of we've got to make an investment here? Yeah, we do. Um, we we do all our stuff on Excel spreadsheets right now. Um, we do use an outside payroll company, but um, right now we do need to have a human resource system, um, and we need you know we need to have a, a HRIS system, which will probably be in our goals for next year. We do realize we have to invest in it. Um, it's just other priorities have taken over. But I do believe, you know, it's also, it creates more transparency because if we have an HRIS system, people can go in and look at things and, you know, they can access things. And, you know, we have, we are implementing SharePoint, so there's going to be a lot of things that people can access through the intranet, and, you know, that will help, and that's being rolled out now. But, yes, we we need to do a lot more in there, but it's more of a goal for next year. Okay, we are now going to enter our mentoring round where we get to ask you several quick questions uh, intended to inspire and mentor aspiring finance leaders. Gene, what's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? 
I would say M&A activity and just all the stuff that's going around in the technology world and the space and being a part of finance, you see a lot of the M&A and you understand it. And, you know, being able to, like, have a meeting with my staff and talk about M&A and teaching them about M&A, it's really exciting. What do you wish someone had told you at the start of your CFO career? Not a 40-hour-a-week job. It's a very big commitment. And, you know, it's it's always there. It's always there. It's not just something you can leave the office and not take home with you. You know, it's a it's a big, big commitment job. Is there a personal habit you believe that's contributed to your professional success? Yeah, caring about people, understanding them personally and professionally and making mentoring them and making them better because if you make them better, it makes me better. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Um, I would recommend Cheryl Sandberg, Lean In. Um, it talks about women in the workplace and how to lead, and it it really is a, a good book for women that um, are just starting out or women that are in college that want to have a career, and then it also helps men, like, deal with women who work, who might be married to a woman who works, and, and I really enjoyed that. And what I love about that book the most is that one of my employees gave it to me to read because they they read it and thought of me finance thought leaders don't go anywhere we're about to ask our finance leader guest for their business priorities over the next 12 months but first permit us 30 seconds to thank our sponsor you want smart clear and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business with u.s bank you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs enhance control improve cash flow and expand your spend visibility u.s bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed they've been named a 2017 world's most ethical company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middlemarket. Okay, Gene, our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Um, to continue to grow my team and make them better, um, you know, maybe make the controller you know, mentor her up to the next level and get her to be, you know, on the leadership team of the company. Um, mentoring people really makes me happy because it's really the future. And also just helping the team, the entire executive team with, you know, the modeling and the making things better for, you know, in sales and in and, and implementation and making things more efficient and just helping with the whole modeling and the strategic vision for the next five years. Gene Prather, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. At CFO Thought Leader, 
we wanted to give you, the listener, some added clout when it comes to selecting next season's CFO guests. We call it Listener's Choice. And in the months ahead, our Listener's Choice guests will enjoy some added box office clout as we advance the CFOs you most want to hear from into next season's CFO lineup. To learn more about CFO Thought Leader's Listener's Choice, visit us at cfothoughtleader.com or go ahead and email me at jack at cfothoughtleader.com. Hey, one last thing. It's no secret when we originated CFO Thought Leader, it was with iPhone users in mind. Android users, we have neglected you. And so to make amends, we just released a CFO Thought Leader mobile app just for you. It's now ready for download on Google Play and Amazon Android Markets. No matter what world you're part of, thank you for listening. <laughs>